This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and welcome to Self Work. This is my seventh podcast, I'm excited to say. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I have been practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas for a little over 20 years. Today, we're going to be talking about abuse. Now, we're not going to be talking about specific categories of abuse, but we're sort of rounding them all up and talking about abuse in general, because what we'll be focusing on is why you actually even talk about it, why you bring it up, why do you reveal. And the point I want to make is it's not just about revealing it to someone else or a therapist or something. It's about revealing it and dealing with it within yourself. There are a lot of people who really struggle to see whether that has any value or not. I do want to caution you, however, if you have abuse in your history, it would be easy for this podcast to trigger you, and we certainly don't want to do that. The last thing I want to do is re-victimize anyone who already has been a victim in his or her life. So listen carefully and cautiously. The format today is going to be that first we're going to be talking about just some basic statistics about abuse. We're going to talk about reasons why you should do it or why you could do it, what good can come of it. We're going to discuss why people hang on to blame in a sense that it was their fault. We're also going to be talking about confrontation, whether you choose to actually ever go to your perpetrator and confront them. Then last, there'll be an email from a listener who actually read a post of mine about Perfectly Hidden Depression, which the third and fourth podcast are on, and had some questions for me. I went to the National Children's Alliance website and got these statistics. Over 700 children were abused annually in 2014, and over 1,500 children actually died from that abuse. Child Protective Services has over 3 million people as cases, and neglect is actually the most common form of child abuse. 80% of the people that report abuse report neglect. 18% physical abuse, and 9% sexual abuse. Four out of five of the perpetrators are parents. I know that's an awful thing to think, but that's the truth. Then also, the percentage varies from study to study. I've seen everything from one to four girls are abused to one to seven or eight boys, and of course it depends on whether you're talking about sexual abuse or physical abuse. So really I hesitate to say exactly what the percentage is, because you can find such different data. Let's just say it happens way too much. This particular podcast, we're not going to talk about the actual consequences of abuse much either, but realize huge issues with safety, trust, intimacy, fears of abandonment, blame, self-confidence, self-worth. The loss of your actual childhood is irretrievable, and often... You can blame yourself so much, it's like it it sticks to you like superglue. You just can't get it off of you. So for the rest of your life, sometimes there can be a fight for a sense of belief that you have worth. If you were neglected, you were treated like you were invisible. If you were abused, that you were worthless. If you were sexually abused, you were just treated like an object to be manipulated and used. So these messages are very, very difficult to get rid of. Now, an important point I do want to make is this. 
when I say reveal abuse to yourself, what I mean is, is to get it out of your, what I call your emotional closet and begin understanding how its tentacles can be interwoven in your life so that you can free yourself more. I guess somebody could say, well, what if I don't want to tell anyone that I was abused? Okay, if that's your choice, I'm all for it. If there's a true sense of choice. But often I think that has more to do with fear or denial rather than it's a sense of I'm going to choose not to tell. So what are some of the reasons to tell? One, you'll really feel in control. You'll be at the helm of your own life again. In some ways, you're still being controlled by your perpetrator if you don't tell, if you stay in denial, if you stay afraid. You'll also begin to understand the connections you have in your present-day world to your sexual abuse. I remember a man I worked with several years ago who came in and finally revealed that he'd been molested by his grandfather. It was confusing to him because he also loved his grandfather, and his grandfather had taught him a lot of things, but he was an abuser. What this particular man didn't recognize was that he had had a good enough relationship with his sons, but he had almost no relationship with their children. He was somewhat aloof and distant. Once he began understanding the ramifications of his sexual abuse, he understood that he was afraid in many ways to reach out to his grandchildren. He didn't want them to feel that same sense of confusion. And what if he hurt them in some way? Once he realized this, he contacted his sons, apologized. I can't quite remember whether he actually told them about the abuse or not. I don't think he did. But he certainly took responsibility for what he had prior to that not been able to understand. And it really changed his life. But you may not be aware of what you're doing to try to keep it a secret, to keep the abuse, the neglect under wraps. Achievement might be incredibly important to you. In fact, you don't do anything but achieve. You could be covering it up with substances like alcohol or weed. Or you could be afraid to risk anything because of fear of rejection or ridicule. You just don't know. But once you begin making those connections, all of a sudden, there's not a shroud anymore over your present-day life because you understand how it's connected to the past. Another reason to reveal and to begin to cope with your abuse is this, or your neglect. You're going to give yourself the message that you're valuable. When you unpack your own pain, allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself to understand the significance of what happened to you. Then you're giving the message to that child who got hurt that they are valuable. In fact, I have my patients visualize that as their adult selves, they almost travel back in time. Now, this is not hypnosis or anything. This is just a visualization. They travel back in time and stand by themselves as a younger child, that child that was getting abused. And then I have them say to that child what they would have wanted to hear. It's interesting what generally happens. Either they give them strategies for survival, like... Let me tell you where there's a good hiding place, or you have to sneak food so you'll have food to eat, or just stay out of his way when he's drinking. So they'll almost try to reparent themselves and give them survival strategies. Or their eyes well with tears and they say, it's not your fault. It was never your fault. This can be an incredibly strong, important message for a victim to hear. 
Another very vital reason is you may just prevent someone else from getting hurt. It's important to remember that therapists like teachers are mandated reporters of abuse. However, it's mandated if it's current. If a patient comes in and tells me they were abused 20 years ago, that's not reportable. What is important is if there's a young child living in that home, and then each case has to be talked about and treated specifically. A lot of people decide not to get their abuse out of their emotional closet because they feel like they're too old. They've lived too much of their lives. What good is it going to do? Well, I'm here to tell you it can do a lot of good. I remember well a man between 70 and 80 tell me that in dealing finally with the sexual abuse actually by his sister, that he went to his high school reunion for the first time with his head held high. He had never understood why he could not deal with or be with strong women. And now he understood why, and he could now do that. It was an incredible change for him. The other way to stay in denial about it is to say, well, it only happened once. It's really not abuse if it just happened once. And my memory on it is kind of foggy. It does matter. If you've been abused just once, it's important. An interesting phenomenon that I've also dealt with over the years is this. Three or four sessions into my work with someone who's been traumatized, they'll say something like, well, you know, I should have locked the door. Or I shouldn't go jogging in that area. Or I could have gone to live with an aunt or an uncle. Or something. They'll make up reasons why the abuse was really their fault. I didn't understand this for a long time. I remember a case specifically where the the victim was chosen so randomly and the act was so violent that there was no way that I could rationally understand how this person was trying to tell me it was their fault. But I have a theory. When you believe it's your fault, you begin to think, I can keep it from happening again. If I just get very careful, if I lock my doors, if I don't jog in that park, if I keep in touch with my aunt and uncle, whatever it is that you're telling yourself, you know, if I'd done that, maybe I could have stopped the abuse. It gives you a heightened sense of control. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't work that way. What I've seen in abuse, or especially trauma, is that you have to build a wall of safety around yourself again with the knowledge that your life can get very out of control. So I think that's the reason why so many people hang on to this sense of blame or that it's their fault. I ask them sometimes to find a child that was their age when the trauma happened and to imagine themselves going up to that child and saying, you know, there's really something you could do about this abuse you're suffering or you're being neglected and if you just speak up more, maybe you wouldn't be. I don't think you'd say that to a child. And certainly then, not to yourself. Now I'd like to talk a little bit toward the end here about the decision to confront. I made a mistake years ago as a therapist, and I encouraged someone to confront. I believe it was a grandfather again. She went to her hometown and talked to him, confronted him, and all he did was tell her that she had wanted it. It was a, it was a sexual abuse. And she came back re-traumatized. I felt terrible. What I've learned in the interim is that in order to confront, you have to have faced and confronted in yourself what you would do 
how you would feel if you get blamed, if you're told it never happened, if you get an apology, whatever it is that happens, can you handle it? Sometimes we even role play me being the perpetrator, and I'll say things to my patient just to see how they respond and react. Many people decide never to confront, and by me, that's okay. I think you can heal without ever confronting. So I imagine my bias is somewhat clear. I think there are many, many good things that can happen if you reveal, if you get it out and look at it and try to understand what kind of damage was done and what you can do today to begin to repair that damage. If you're a very high achiever, perhaps you can start to do things a little more flexibly or in a more relaxed fashion. If you're using substances, perhaps you can address that issue as well. Or if you have trouble with risk-taking, putting yourself out there, valuing yourself, you can begin to do things now that you're aware of where all that got started, and you simply do not have to continue it. But I'm also quick to say there's no one pathway to healing. As I said before, if you choose not to deal with it, to allow it to sit back there in your past, then that's your choice. Now we're going to move on to the email I received about perfectly hidden depression. Let's call her Mary. Well, I have never been so surprised in my life. I finally read one of your PhD articles and completely shocked to realize that just may be me. You see, when I hear people are depressed, I think I'm the happiest, most connected person I know, and everyone around me says how I'm so happy. Well, everyone except my fourth husband. We're in counseling because I'm so done with this marriage. Just like the others, I'm afraid. I thought I needed to learn how to be in a relationship or just consider being alone for the rest of my life. What is it about a husband that I just can't live with them? I'm on the verge of dropping counseling because it would be so much easier to just get a divorce. I cried in the second session and couldn't stop, right in front of him. I must be the coldest woman alive. I'm going to see the part of how to fix PhD, but I'm still struggling with the fact that I answered yes to almost all the questions. In fact, I quit the questionnaire before I was finished. It's so weird. Every time I saw this PhD in your emails or on Facebook, I avoided it because no way that is me. Now I'm wondering. So Mary really was describing several different problems. She obviously has a need and a desire to see herself as very happy and connected. But if she's on her fourth husband, then something's wrong. Some ability to connect or to commit Or there are obviously other factors that I would have no clue about, just given this email. I did say, Hi Mary, I'm glad first that you read one of the PhD posts. It sounds as if it has caused you to reconsider some aspects of yourself and your life. As far as the decision about your marriage, the only thing I pick up in the email, which is certainly not enough information, is that when you get overwhelmed, you may tend to self-protect and withdraw. I wish you well and hope whatever happiness you do have is comforting and brings contentment. Take care, Dr. Margaret. Many of us do that. Many of us will choose to withdraw as, a, in, in some ways, it's a potent form of control, withdrawing. So I think that's perhaps what Mary's dealing with. Anyway, I wish her well. Thank you again for listening to Self Work today. If you have been abused or neglected, I certainly hope that you are on your path to healing now and that this podcast has been helpful to you.
There are lots of ways of getting in touch with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I blog weekly there. You can privately email me, which some people have done, and I'm so happy they have. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret. So those are several pathways that you can reach me. I'd love to know your ideas for podcasts. I'd also like to invite you and ask you to please rate and review this podcast. That helps me to know what's content that people are enjoying and perhaps what they'd rather hear. And please subscribe. Thanks so much. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work. Self Work.